tonight we're going to take a little bit of a look at the text. How about that? Uh, actually, we'll, um, we'll finish up verse 1 tonight. So let, let, me, um, let me read you verses 1 and 2, and then we'll, we'll get to work. Um, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Our focus really is on that introductory statement in verse 1, where Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Now, you don't know it, but you're going to be really glad you came tonight because you are going to walk out of here a, uh, a budding young theologian. Uh, because what we're going to talk about tonight is the, the necessity of secondary causes. Now, it, doesn't that sound, uh, doesn't that just sound smart? Um, you know, you can impress your friends at, uh, over the Bible trivia game um, uh, with, the, with the discussion of the necessity of secondary causes. Now, if that, if that frightens you, it shouldn't. You'll see what it's all about before we're finished. But you're going to know about the necessity of secondary causes. Now, guys, um, when it comes to verse 1, there's a couple of ways that we could approach it. We could look at it like this. Um, I mean, those of us who are, and, and all of you are, I, I assume, who really love this book and want to understand what's in here, we could do it like this. We could take verse 1, and I could tell you about all the Greek verbs and all the Greek nouns. I could tell you about the tenses of the Greek verbs, and we could parse them as to whether or not they're in the artist's tense or the perfect. You know, we, we, could, do a, we could do a lot of that. And then we could look at, we could turn to the nouns and we could talk about the etymology of the words. I mean, the, the, the Greek word cardia is in there. You know what cardia is, uh, cardiac. Well, the, 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 there's heart right there. I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about the etymology of the Greek word cardia. And, um, soterion is in, is in there, a, a, a very important word. We could do it that way. And we would, we would walk out with a, a great deal of, um, um, I was about to say something ugly. Um, I was going to say useless information. That's not. It's not that it would be useless. It would be useless. But I don't know, know that it would. Um, I don't know that it would bring about what we really want, and that's a that's a that's a change of life. Uh, the reason we study this is so that we can see our lives conform to it. And so, telling you more about uh, the tense. And by the way, telling you sometimes about the tense of the Greek verse is very important because there's there's meaning behind it. But I don't think that's true in verse 1. Um, actually, if I were to spend my time doing all that, I think that would just muddy the waters. I don't think it would be um, very helpful for you in terms of um, responsible Christian living. The real point, I think, in verse 1 is to be found in, in taking a look at Paul's attitude. There's an attitude that Paul uh, evidences in verse 1, and it's something that I think we want to emulate. Um, we looked at that uh, last week. 
I said to you the first part of the attitude that I want, or the first lesson about his attitude is, here's a man who is concerned about people that hate him and that tried to kill him. Uh, on numerous occasions tried to kill him and on numerous occasions jailed him and, and beat him. And, all. And, and this man still aches for those people. That's a, that's, a, that's a part of an apostolic attitude that I think he learned from Jesus that I think we would be very um, um, wise and, and to emulate. Loving a people who so hated him. That was a part of the attitude last week. Um, and tonight we're going to look at a different part of that attitude that I, that I hope will be helpful for you. Um, actually, I introduced it a little bit last week, but we're going we're gonna to get a little bit more down and dirty tonight. Guys, um, I teach a class around here twice a year called an Introduction to Systematic Theology. It's a fun thing for me to do. I love to do it, and <clears throat> it usually is quite uh, an appealing class. We try to keep it to 15, and every time, my secretary will tell you, we have a waiting list. Um, and, and I think people enjoy it. I'm not sure that, that uh, we get everything solved, uh, but many of you have taken that class, um, uh, the introduction to systematics right here. But every time, every time I teach that class, and, you know, and I've taught it, golly, gee, so many times. It's, um, I bet you I've taught it 75 times, but... Um, um, every time I teach it, many of the same questions come up every time. And, and it's kind of comical to watch them come up. And I can almost even tell you not only uh, what will come up, but when they'll come up. Uh, at what session will they come up? It's eight hours long, you know, and I can say, well, look, about three, three hours and 20 minutes into this, you're going to be, ah, you know. Um, but um, here's one of the things that's always said in that class. It's always said, always, always said something like this. It goes, Dr. Young. If I believe like you believe, why, I'd never do an evangelism. I'd never pray if I believe like you do. I mean, if I believe that, Dr. Young, I would never do an evangelism. Uh, no, sir, Rebobby, not if I believe that in business like you're saying, Dr. Young. I would never do an evangelism. Hey, not only that, Dr. Young, I'd never pray. And those are what you call secondary causes. And I am suggesting that there is a necessity to secondary causes. And uh, the, the response uh, is predictable. Uh, if I believe that, well, I'd never, I'd never do it any, I'd never observe or I'd never um, perform anything known as a secondary cause. Like, and by the way, I think there might be some others, but those are, that's pretty much it. Evangelism. And prayer. Now, with that as a backdrop, look at the text with me. Um, Romans chapter 10, verse 1. <laughs> Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Does it strike you as strange at all that Paul follows chapter 9 with chapter 10, verse 1? Now, guys, if you were around when we last year when we looked at chapter 9, you remember that there was some very difficult stuff in there. It's stuff over which people love to argue. It's stuff over which people love to fight. 
Um, there's a lot of yeah, 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 and about Romans chapter 9. Primarily, statements like these. Verse 14, excuse me, 13. I'm reading from the text. Romans 9, 13 says, um, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. A lot of yeah, yeah, and about that, folks. And here's another one. A lot of it, but here's just a, uh, verse 16. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. A lot of yeah, yeah, and about that, folks. Uh, verse 15. Uh, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And we went through all that last year. If you missed it, shame on you. But uh, we, we, we wrestled with all that stuff last year. Now, does it strike you as odd that the great, uh, he's not the originator of those things, but the great um, uh, promoter, we'll say, of this thing called I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, does it strike you as odd that that man, the same man, who taught this thing that people yay yeah about, then follows it up and says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That's right, he was odd. Guys, here's a man, Paul, who over in chapter 9 taught this thing uh, called unconditional election. And yet, that does not stop him in the slightest from pleading with God. His, his evangelistic heart flames for lost people. I long that they be saved. That strike you, Zod? It strikes some people. <laughs> Gang, um, you may not fully understand um, because of the things contained in chapter 9 why evangelism needs to be done. All I'm pointing out to you is that the man who taught the information over which the evangelical church fights about in the 21st century is the same man who says... I groan over them. I long to see them saved. <laughs> I got to tell you this story, and I'm um, I'm somewhat, uh, but it's not going to be bad. So I promise. Um, the <laughs> I asked for permission to tell this story from the young man about whom this story uh, relates, but I didn't talk to this mother and daddy. And his mother and daddy are here tonight. And so all I can tell you is it's going to be fine. Just relax. Um, guys, uh, back in early June, we had a guy uh, speak here. His name is Jerem Bars. And Jerem Bars teaches at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. And Jerem Bars is very well thought of in the, uh, in the Christian world. And um, Covenant Seminary is where four of our guys, um, uh, Brent uh, Harriman, uh, B.J. Odie, uh, Ashley Dusenberry is there now, and so is Shane Carmichael. Uh, and, and, oh, and, and Michael Novak is also up there. 
Five of our guys have come from here, and they're up here, up there right now. At uh, well, not some of them have already graduated, but the, one of their professors up there, who is so highly esteemed, is a guy named Jerem Bars, and he preached down here on in early June. Well, at about that time, there was this crisis going on in one of our uh, church family's lives. Let me tell you about the crisis. The, cri- <laughs> the crisis was this: uh, this family, who is exemplary and model in so many ways, um, uh, had raised a son who had been homeschooled his entire life. He's homeschooled. And uh, came through our youth program, one of the sweetest, best kids. But it was off to college for him. He graduated from uh, you know, high school, and so off to college he went. So um, uh, in, um, in early or late May or maybe early June, he went to orientation at his chosen uh, college. And there at orientation, he met his um, uh, roommate-to-be. And it turned... Now, this, this kid out of Gracie Van is as straight as an arrow, is a great kid, um, and, and has come from a wonderful family. And, um, it, but, you know, he'd been spared some of the uglinesses uh, that seemed to happen in public and private uh, high schools in the city. Well, he met his, his to-be um, a roommate, and it turns out, as providence would have it, that his new roommate was an avowed homosexual. Made that very clear. Now, before I go any further, it really is a troubling thing, guys. This, this is somewhat of an aside. Um, that we get so upset about homosexuality. It ought not be, folks. We are, a, we, we are guilty in the Christian church of loving sex in the city. We want to dress like her, and, and we, uh, you know, we want to watch all the episodes, and we want to get the CDs, and we just love sex in the city. But we're just horrified over the sin of homosexuality. Guys, you know what that's called? What's that? That's exactly what it's called. H-I-P-O-C-R-I-S-Y. Hypocrisy. They're both sexual sins, but one of them we love and laugh about and celebrate and love to watch that girls and all of You know, we love that, that thing, but we get just bent out of shape over homosexuality. Guys, they're both sexual sins. We shouldn't be any more disgusted by one than we are the other, but we are. That's called, can I spell it again? Um, I, so, that's the aside. But anyway, this family is facing a crisis. Crisis. Our beloved son is now about to be tossed into the arms of Moloch. You know who Moloch was? He was a Midianite god. Um, we're going to throw our beloved son. And I mean, these two parents were just oh so upset. And can you blame them? Wouldn't you be? I think you would. I mean, shocking, shocking, shocking. Their response was wonderful. But that's not why I'm telling the story. The story is to tell you about Jerem Bars. Because Jerem Bars preached here on June the 7th or wherever, whenever it was. And this family got a hold of Jerem Bars 
and, um, and told them of their dilemma. Told them of their dilemma. And they said, Dr. Bars, what should we do? And Jerem Bars, as I was told, I wasn't in the meeting, but <clears throat> Jerem Bars said, this is exciting. You, you put your son right in there, and you let him live before this young man, and you give him an opportunity to, to demonstrate kingdom values and kingdom uh, 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 virtues and, and the beauty and the holiness of God. And isn't this great that he's been tossed in with this young man with whom he might be able to share with him the beauties and the excellencies of Jesus Christ? He's got it. I'm not sure we do. I'm not sure I do. But gang, all I'm saying is, here is a man who is devoted to these, these, these things that seem to cause people so much concern out of Romans 9. And the same man, seminary professor type, has a heart that beats after lost men and women. He's got it. Again, I'm not sure we do, but he does. Gang, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, have, I don't have access to the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, I haven't checked it out yet. So because of that limitation, I am to press the claims of Christ on all who will listen to me. Gang, doctrine, and particularly reformed doctrine, doesn't paralyze. It inflames. If you're paralyzed by your theological position, then one of two things are true. Either you don't rightly understand your theological position, or you are being willfully disobedient. Because if you understand the, the theology of the Apostle Paul, then your heart will flame for lost men like his does. Gang, if you believe Romans 9.15, where is it? There it is. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, says God. If you believe that, like Paul, you will pray Romans 10.1, like Paul. The author of this controversial doctrine in the evangelical world called election, the very distributor of that doctrine is the same man whose heart aches over lost men. There's two things that are mentioned in Romans 10.1. He prays and he longs to see them saved. The man that was responsible for a lot of this theological controversy that seems to rip the church up from time to time is a man who panted after lost men and pled with God for them. 
or the necessity of secondary causes. Guys, I might not be able to understand all of the whys and the wherefores, but let me tell you this. If I want to be a, um, a uh, New Testament, consistently loving New Testament Christian, I want to be like that. That Paul guy. And he's the one who is doing this. And he's the same one who taught this stuff in Romans chapter 9. So does it strike you as odd that the man who taught what he taught in Romans 9 follows that up with Romans chapter 10, verse 1? My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they be saved. That's the man I want to be. Um, Okay, here's a... Here's a test for your doctrinal orthodoxy. Are you ready? Here's you a test. Um, Do you believe in this doctrine of election as taught in Romans chapter 9? Oh, you do. Okay, fine. Um, Do you long for the salvation of other people? Do you pray over their lostness? If you do, then you got it. If you don't, there's something wholly missing in your theological understanding of what Paul taught. Because for Paul, he taught it. And then he said, man, I pray, I groan, I ache for them. And nobody can be more uh, more applauded for his evangelistic efforts than the Apostle Paul. Guys, Doctrinal precision leads to large hearts and a and a fairly passionate I shouldn't say fairly a passionate prayer life for 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 lost men. Guys, there there is a there's a sense in which I can say to you that the most important prayer of all is your praying for lost men. You know, guys, in First Timothy, is it First Timothy two? I think it is, uh, verses one through four, where Paul says we need to pray for all sorts of people for all sorts of things. I just want you to notice that when Paul got ready to pray, he didn't pray for their family. I want to pray for the marriages of my of my lost countrymen. He didn't pray for their health. He didn't pray for their business. Now, I'm not saying those any things. All those things are. Inappropriate. We're supposed to pray for all sorts of things, for all sorts of people. Absolutely. I'm just saying, when the Apostle Paul got ready to pray, the thing that he groaned over was their lostness. We cannot neglect to pray for lost men. Now, if I can just real quickly have an advertisement. Guys, we got this little thing around here called Six for Six. If you've never started it, here's a good time to start it. Six for six. It's pretty simple. It's praying for six people for six months. Six for six. How about this? Here's an application for you. Let's make a list of six people that you're pretty convinced don't know Jesus. And let's commit to pray for them for six months. I didn't say invite them to church. I'm not even interested that you invite them to church. We're not trying to build Gracie Man. 
We're trying to develop hearts who groan over lost people. We have been doing that for 10 years at Gracie Van. Have you been participating? If not, why not? Because as I see the attitude as on display by the Apostle Paul, he's the one that taught, hell, he's going to have mercy on he's going to have mercy. But I, it is not going to stop me from praying. It's not going to stop me from longing after their lostness and seeking to do something about it. Now, let me tell you one other thing, and, and I think I can do this and we'll, and we'll be done. Um, guys, another way of saying this, the same thing, is to say that God always ordains the means to the ends that He has ordained. Did you hear? Now you may not understand that, but the necessity of secondary causes. Not only has God ordained the ends, He has also ordained the means to the ends. What are the means? Secondary causes: evangelism, and prayer. Not only does He ordain the ends, He ordains the means to the ends. So one of those means to the end is our doing evangelism and praying. That means that those two things are not to be neglected. Oh, no, 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 no. They're necessary. They're necessary means to the ordained ends. They're necessary ordained means to the ordained ends. Neglect those, and the ends are in doubt. Ooh, that'll upset some of my reformed brethren. Neglect the means, and the ends are in doubt. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'm done. Um, That, I hope, will give us cause to pray. um, Or an, an encouragement to pray, but... Let me tell you one quick story, and, and, I'm, and I hope this will help you. Because um, I know all of us have people in our lives that don't know Jesus, and, and they, it concerns us. And we pray every now and then for it. Have you ever heard of the name of George Mueller? George Mueller? Have you ever heard that name? He, he started a, uh, an orphanage in um, Bristol, England. And it turned out to, that he started several. I think there was more than one. And what um, uh, George, they've had books written by George, about George Mueller. Um, and the thing that made his orphanages distinctive is that he never sought to raise money. He never went around like, like, <laughs> like he's done so much today. And, I, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with it. But this guy decided he was never going to ask anybody for a dime. And he never did. In the course of his whole 50 years with uh, the orphanages, he never... But he would pray for his needs. And there's stories that he tells about milk trucks that broke down right outside the front steps and the milk, uh, milkman coming in and said, listen, i got to do something with this milk. Can you all do anything with this milk? And, you know, he has story after story after story about this. George Mueller of Bristol. I think that's the title of the book. Um, Mueller of Bristol, something like that. Anyway. But um, one of the stories that is told about George Mueller is, th- is that he, um, he, pray- he had two friends from his childhood that he prayed for for over 60 years. Um, and he kept notes on his prayer. 
on his spring. And somehow somebody got access to that or uh, read something. And, and uh, they, they, they approached him. And, oh, and by the way, um, the two guys, one of them uh, made a, uh, came to know Christ only months before Mueller's death. The other one had not come to Christ before Mueller died. But this conversation took place before either one of them had made a profession of faith. So somebody comes to um, Mueller and, and asks him why it is that he is still praying for these two guys after such a long time since they had shown absolutely no interest and no response to the gospel. And here's what Mueller said in, re- in reply. And guys, this is I hope will help you. He said, and I quote, Do you think God would have kept me praying all these years if he did not intend to save them? Now guys, the, the reason I hope that would help is, is for this reason. Gang, you got people in your lives that you know are, are not... Are, are not Christians. And you're going to pray for them. Have you prayed six years? About 16 years. About 26, 36, 46, 56. How about 60 years? Gang, um, if you have something that you would call a burden for so and such and such lost man. Where do you think the burden came from? I'm saying this, which I hope will encourage you. Guys, if you do have a burden, let's say for your, your family member, and that burden has stayed with you for low these many years, then do you think God would have kept me praying all these years if he did not intend to save them? I want to suggest to you that that burden that you have is an evidence that God is going to save them, just like Mueller saying. But gang, Don't start talking about that if you have a weekend that you really commit them to prayer. Or I prayed for them, you know, for that six months. Nothing happened. You point to a burden that God has given you, and that's because part of the means to the ends of seeing that man come to know Jesus Christ is your praying for him. So, I'm just here to tell you that if you understand Romans 9 rightly, then two of the evidences that you understand Romans 9 rightly is your commitment to the secondary causes of evangelism and prayer. There's only two reasons why we're not. Either we're willfully disobedient or somehow we don't understand right. Let's quit there.
Our Father, I pray that you will use uh, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to remind us that there is a, there is a task in front of us. There is an there is a enterprise of world evangelization to which we can put our hands to that plow. And I pray, O oh God, that Grace Evan might do that very thing. Finding more and more reasons to give sacrificially, to live simply, so that we can give more sacrificially, so that we can indeed be a part of seeing the accomplishment of the Great Commission. We make our prayer, of course, in the name of Jesus Christ.